So it hit me that three weeks from today is Christmas Day. Just ponder that thought for a minute. Okay. <laughs> three weeks from today, as I was driving in thinking about that this morning, I have not yet bought one gift. You know, I'm like, oh no, <laughs> we are, we're, we're behind the eight ball here. But, um, you know, giving gifts to one another really has become a big part of the, of the Christmas uh, holiday tradition. And it follows suit. God is a giving God, and he set the precedent by giving good things to the people that he loves. Uh, if you think of all the things that God has given us, uh, life and breath and beauty and purpose and wisdom and forgiveness and grace and mercy and salvation, uh, God is a giving God. And when we give gifts, we're, we're, we're just... We're just doing what God has done. In, in our series uh, this Christmas time, um, I'm talking about uh, the, the gifts of Christmas, uh, just what it is God has given to us. Today we're talking about the gift of hope. And in our series, we'll talk about the gift of joy and the gift of love and the gift of salvation. And we'll wrap it up on Christmas morning with a message on the gift of Jesus. And uh, we're just going to look at the gifts and how, all the things that God has given us. And just imagine how horrible a world it would be without hope and joy and love and salvation. A, a, a world without Jesus. I can't even imagine what this world would be like. Sometimes I think we forget just how important these gifts are. So today we're talking about the gift of hope. And this is such an important one. Hope is powerful. When you lose hope, you've lost, you've lost a lot. The hope of a better tomorrow is what helps us to sleep at night. The hope of a brighter future keeps us going as we trudge through the challenges that life throws at us, knowing the fact that, you know what, we'll get through this, we can make it, we can endure, there's another day, a brighter day coming. There's the hope that our sorrows will one day turn to joy, that that's the kind of thing that, that gets us through those truly difficult and painful events that happen in our lives when we realize the fact that it can't hurt this much forever, that there has to be a brighter day coming. Hope carries with it the idea that something good is going to come in the future. And so for the Christian, hope is the confident expectation that everything God has said will indeed happen. If he put it in here, you can take it to the bank, right? God's mouth is closed. God's mouth is open. When God speaks, he speaks to us right here through his word. And you can take his word at face value. He will do it. When we look at the characters surrounding the birth of Jesus in the New Testament, we see a, a couple who uh, spent years clinging to the hope of a promise. Even after God had been silent for so many years, they hung on to hope. They didn't give up. Perhaps you can relate to them if you've ever had a period in your life where it felt like God went silent Hey, just by a show of hands, like me, how many of you have ever had that time in your life where it just kind of felt like God went silent and you couldn't hear him? Anybody here? All right, so if you're here this morning, many, you know, most hands here this morning, if, if that's where you are this morning, know you're in good company because we all go through that period at times where it just feels like something's happened, that God maybe has gone silent. Maybe you find yourself asking the question, why am I doing this? Why do I even bother getting up and going to church or reading my Bible? Why, why do I even do this? I mean, why am I serving? Why am I putting in this much effort? Why am I giving so much? 
I mean, why do I believe? Why, you know, I mean, is this all true? Am I, am I just missing out? Is this all just superstition or did it really happen and should I really believe? If you've ever had that thought, if you've ever had those questions go through your mind, and maybe you're in one of those periods right now, I want you to know that this Christmas series is for you. Uh, we're going to do the best we can to answer some of those questions and, and help build that hope and that confidence in God. The story of the two characters we're going to read today, in many ways, are my story and your story. Um, I think you're going to be able to relate to them uh, in, in a powerful way. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke, chapter number one. If not, you can follow on on the screen or on the app. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, it says, In the time of King Herod, king of Judea. Now, that would be the Herod that would later uh, kill all the babies in Bethlehem because he was trying to kill Jesus. Verse 5, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abaha. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So both Elizabeth uh, and Zechariah were born in the priestly line of Israel, which basically means that they were preacher's kids who were preacher's kids who were preacher's kids all the way down the line. So they had come from a long line of people that were, were priests, that were religious leaders. In verse 6, it says, Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Say that with me. Blamelessly. So basically what he's saying here is that they were living a good and godly life. That if you had sent a private investigator to follow them around to dig up any dirt, he would have come back and said, I can't find anything. These people are good people. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They were doing what they were doing as priests and followers of God based on promises that had come thousands of years earlier. But here's the thing, even though they'd followed this line, they'd come from a line of priests, and they'd been following a promise that'd come from 2,000 years ago, for the last 700 years, God had basically gone radio silent. God really hadn't done anything for the children of Israel in 700 years. And yet these two got up morning after morning, day after day, and they lived their life as if Christmas could come at any moment. To kick off the holiday season, you know, the, 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 you, you know, the watching Christmas movies and things like this. Uh, how many of you have watched one cheesy Hallmark movie so far? Anybody? You know? All right. God bless you. I see that hand. Any others? You know? <laughs> I started off the Christmas season by watching the Chronicles of Narnia. And uh, just uh, my favorite line is always winter, never Christmas. Uh, and, you know, that's kind of what was going on here for uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. It was, it, was, it was always winter, but never Christmas. They were always, always believing that, that Christ, the, the Messiah was coming. They, they believed that. They believed that God was going to keep his word and fulfill his promise. So following the training and the traditions of their parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth they remained blamelessly faithful to God throughout their entire lives. So how'd that work out for them? I mean, they did so good. They were blameless. Surely God really, really blessed them for how well they had done. Let's pick it up in verse 7. But they were childless 
because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So day after day, week after week, year after year, they got up, they served, they went to the temple, they did what they were supposed to do, they lived a blameless life, they, they followed the, the decrees and the demands of God, they've done everything that they were supposed to do, they missed out on opportunities that other people were able to do, and yet they lived their life without an heir, without any kids. Now, in this culture, uh, that was considered uh, a woman's fault. Uh, the science had not yet caught up with the culture, and, and, and so they just thought, well, uh, there's something wrong with the woman here in this situation, or God, you know, God just didn't bless them. They had done something wrong, or she had done something wrong. But imagine in Elizabeth's mind, I mean, that's all she wanted. It's what she prayed for. She wanted, to be, she wanted to be a mom, and yet all of these years, it just didn't happen. She couldn't get pregnant. And this was a big deal in their culture because people would, would just look at them and, and kind of look down on them. It was, a, it was a disgraceful thing. Women were already not treated well in this time. They had no political standing. They, they, most of them did not work. Uh, they were usually uneducated. And so there's all these different stigmas attached to him. And then when you add to it the fact that she's not able to give birth to a child, it was a really difficult situation for Elizabeth. And so here's this, this woman that probably only just wanted a child. It's what she always dreamed of. And it didn't happen. And yet, day after day, she remained blameless. She did what she knew she was supposed to do throughout her young years, throughout her middle years, throughout her latter years. And there was probably one day when she just woke up and she realized, you know, it just isn't going to happen. It's not going to happen for me. I'm not going to be able to have that child. Verse 7 says, and they were both very old. It was over. The dream was done. God had done nothing for them lately. God had gone radio silent for 700 years. They, asked, they, they prayed and they heard nothing. They got nothing back. I mean, they prayed desperate prayers, the prayers of a couple that just wanted to have a child, but God clearly had said no. And so she lived with this shame and this pain all the way into her old age. Now, let me give you a little background of the story here before we go on. Their entire faithfulness was based on a promise that God had given to Abraham over 2,000 years earlier, called the Abrahamic Covenant, when God said, I will make you a great nation, and, and that did happen. And he says, I will bless you, uh, and I will make your name great, uh, and that happened. How many of you, before you got here this morning, have heard of Abraham, you know? Okay, we'd all heard of Father Abraham. You know, that was 4,000 years ago, and yet we're still talking about Abraham. His name certainly was great. But it starts to break down, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. Now, that did happen for a period of time. And it says, and I will curse uh, those who curse you, and you know, whatever that means, and, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now he's talking to Abraham here. So this is the root idea of why the Jews believed that there was something more for Israel because of this promise that God had made to Abraham and then through his descendants all the way down to them. Because Abraham eventually had a son named Isaac and Isaac had a bunch of sons. They moved to Egypt. They became a nation. They became the nation of Israel. They moved back to the promised land. 
and the kingdom really took off and, and God was really blessing Abraham, uh, Israel for a period of time. Generations came and went. The golden age of, of uh, Israel happened really during the reign of Solomon and David. Uh, God was just really blessing Israel. And then things fell apart. <clears throat> the nation split. There were wars. There were good kings. There were bad kings. And between the time of Solomon's followers until the time of Zechariah and Elizabeth, in the story we're reading this morning, Israel had changed hands over 25 times. The Syrians took them over. The Babylonians took them over. The Greeks took them over. The Persians took them over. Many times they didn't even have an army. They were just becoming less and less of a factor in the world's events. So this idea that the whole world was going to be blessed through this tiny little nation of Israel was beginning to look like a fairy tale because nothing had happened in 700 years. And then in 65 BC, Pompey the Great, the great Roman general, marched into Jerusalem. He occupied the city. He pushed past the temple guards and went right into the Holy of Holies. This was the place that the Jews believed that God dwelt there. I mean, the priests could only go in there uh, one time per year and serve before God. They believed that if you went into the Holy of Holies unannounced that God would strike you dead. Pompey the Great walked right into the Holy of Holies, looked around, and walked back out. And nothing happened. So as word spread of these events, the implications were clear. Jupiter, the god of the Romans, was more powerful than Yahweh, the god of Israel. So that was the word in the streets. Now all of this, Pompey going into the Holy of Holies, this happened likely when Zechariah's father was a priest and, and Zechariah was a young boy. Surely there was discussion around the dinner table in the evening about what had happened. I can't believe it. I mean, he just walked right into the Holy of Holies. I can't believe God didn't strike him dead. What's going on here? Yet this little boy, who hasn't seen God really do anything in his entire life, who sat there and listened to his father talk about how crazy it was that Pompey went right into the Holy of Holies, yet he still believed. And he served God, and he remembered the story, and he remembered the sacrilege that Pompey had done. He remembered the emotion, probably his father saying, why doesn't God act? Why doesn't God do something here on behalf of the nation of Israel? And what about that promise with Abraham? I mean, what, what happened to the Abrahamic covenant? I mean, how, how, how is this ever going to happen? How, are, how is this little, little tiny country going to impact the whole world? Maybe they just come to the place where they start to realize it's over. Maybe some began to believe it's a myth. It was just a story passed on, but it's not really going to happen. Maybe Israel's glory days are behind her. Maybe God has abandoned Israel. You see, these are the circumstances that surround Zechariah and Elizabeth's story. And there are moments and seasons in lives, in our lives, when we may ask, is God active? 
Is God even listening to my prayers? Does God even care? And I want you to know, if, if you have any of those questions here today, if you're joining us online and, and, and your interest is peaked because you're kind of feeling that way right now, this Christmas, I want to answer the question with a resounding yes. God does care. Let's pick it up in verse 8. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So Zechariah is chosen, uh, and he goes into the place, and he stands right outside the curtain that divides the, the outer temple from the Holy of Holies, and he stands right outside this Holy of Holies where God dwells. Everybody else leaves the temple, and it's just him in there. It's a very sacred occasion. It's a very special honor to be chosen. Verse 10, when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So he's just doing his thing doing what he'd been trained to do, doing what he was supposed to do, remaining faithful to the duties of a priest, and suddenly an angel of the Lord appears. Verse 12, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. <laughs> wouldn't you love to get a confirmation from God that your prayer had been heard? Well, wouldn't that be nice every once in a while that, that just, you, 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 you know, maybe, maybe, maybe not Gabriel, but I mean, maybe a smaller angel, maybe a, maybe a mini angel or a, a cousin of, of Gabriel, or maybe, I don't know, maybe Clarence, you know, would uh, uh, come and just, just say, hey, shh, God heard your prayer. I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? That would be awesome. Well, anyhow, that's what happened here. Uh, Gabriel appears to Zechariah and says, hey, your prayer's been heard. You're going to have a child. Oh, and by the way, you're going to call him John. Now, this is a famous John. This isn't just any old John. This is a famous John. Anybody know what John this is or who, who this famous John is? It was not John Kennedy. It was not John Candy, John the Baptist. And that's how the whole story begins. Verse 14, he will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, but he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never take wine. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Why would he be bringing back many people to the children of Israel? Because they'd abandoned him, right? Because they had given up, because they had said it's not going to happen, because they'd walked away and said it's over. I mean, God seemingly hadn't done anything in 700 years. It was over. Maybe it was a myth. It was fun while it lasted. Verse 17 says, And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah 
to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So Gabriel says this. Now it's Zechariah's big moment. What does he say? Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is along in years. Now, granted, Zechariah is a little perplexed at exactly how this is going to happen. They'd prayed for a child in their 20s. They really prayed in their 30s. And they held on to a little bit of hope in their 40s. But then they got to 50s and 60s and said, well, that's, that's done. That time of life is over. How can I be sure of this? Then the angel, verse 19, said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news, and now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So you got his hind end chewed out. That's what happened there. Uh, he, was, he was told, you know, don't talk back to me. And it says here, <laughs> he acknowledged that at the appointed time. At the appointed time. You know what that tells us? That tells us that God had this day circled on his calendar for centuries. That it was an appointed time. Hundreds and hundreds of years had gone by, and, and, you know, there was questions about what's going on. God watched the children of Israel abandon him in droves, and it looked like, you know, there was no way in the world Israel would ever bless the world. You mean God, you know, didn't quit paying attention? You mean that he actually was listening to our prayers and the prayers of the prophets throughout all the generations? You mean that even though God has been quiet, it doesn't mean he's been inactive or still or lost interest? No. At the appointed time. Verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When the time of his service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. Verse 25, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And this was just evidence that God had been gearing up and had this planned all along. God knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. And they'd passed on this hope from generation to generation. This hope that maybe one day truly a Messiah will come. They, they, they just held on to this hope. And they passed on this hope from generation to generation. You know, surely Zechariah's father passed it on to him. Hey, there's coming a day. The Messiah is going to come. There's coming a day when 
When the Abrahamic covenant, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fulfilled. It's, it's going to happen. You've got you've got to hang on to this hope. God is a God where you can take his promise to the bank. So throughout every generation, there's always been a remnant of children who believed, who grew up hearing and believing and then passed it on to their children. And then finally one day, and that day had come, that God would put into action what he had planned to do since he gave Abraham the promise thousands of years earlier that every nation on the world would be blessed through Abraham. And here's how the story concludes, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. In every generation, there was a remnant of Christians that decide whether or not they're going to remain faithful in spite of the fact that they'd really seen God do nothing for them for such a long period of time. And the good news is this. If that's your situation, know this. There's nothing wrong with you. That for many, many people, this is a common experience that we, you know, put our faith in Christ and sometimes, sometimes we don't hear and feel and experience God's presence and we begin to wonder. And if that's you, welcome to the world of Zechariah. Welcome to the world of Elizabeth. They decided that even though they hadn't heard from God and even though they hadn't seen God do much and even though they weren't sure what was going on, they were going to continue to believe. They were going to do what they were supposed to do in spite of what they could see and what they couldn't see, in spite of what people would say about them or to them, in spite of the fact that we can't even imagine now how's how's God going to answer this prayer now? I mean, I could, have given, I could have given birth in my 20s. I could have given birth in my 30s, maybe in my 40s. But now, I, I, you know, it ain't going to happen. God missed his opportunity. And maybe in your world, you think God missed his opportunity to answer your prayer the way that you've been praying it. Maybe this morning you just need to recognize that, that uh, God can do anything. Amen? The story of Christmas is a reminder that faith in God is not misplaced. Despite the circumstances that you're going through right now, hang on to your faith in God. Do not give up hope. Do not throw in the towel. Do not quit. Do not walk away. Do not abandon God. That even though God is silent, it doesn't mean that he's not active and at work in your life. God is often at work behind the scenes orchestrating, working, doing things for you that you can't see, that you don't recognize. Elizabeth's story should remind you that God can do anything. God can do anything. God's paying attention. He'd seen Zechariah and he'd seen Elizabeth. He knew their story. He knew what they were, he knew what they were going through. He'd heard their prayers. They'd been registered. It just wasn't time. When God was ready in his time, he was going to do what he was going to do. So know this, that your hope in God is not in vain. Your hope in God is not in vain. 
this time of year, we like to sing a song, O Holy Night. There's a line in that song that says, Long lay the world. Again, 700 years. Long lay the world in sin and error. What? Pining. That's a word we don't use much anymore, pining, right? But it means longing and praying and waiting. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining, wanting God, looking for God, anticipating God, believing. I want you to know this morning, our hope is recognizing the fact that the longing and the waiting and the agonizing is not in vain. Your faith in God is not misplaced. God is a God who keeps his promises always. I'm going to share another promise with you this morning. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And I know it's been 2,000 years since he ascended and said, in the same way that you see me go, I'll be coming back. And some people begin to question, well, hey, you know, is he really coming back? I mean, it's been 2,000 years. And of course, there are people that think we're crazy for believing that Jesus is coming back. But my friends, he is. Titus 2. Verse 11 through 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for what? Say it with me. The blessed hope. What is the blessed hope? It's the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Friends, that is the blessed hope. And just like Zechariah and Elizabeth and their families waited 700 years church has waited for 2,000 years. But my friends, don't give up. Don't lose hope. Don't stop believing. Because Jesus will one day return for his bride. Just like he came, he was prophesied that he would come and be born of a virgin. And every prophecy that was prophesied in the Old Testament about Christ's birth was fulfilled exactly as it was prophesied in Scripture. And there are more promises about his second coming than there were his first coming, and we've seen things come together and in alignment that Jesus could come back soon, even in our lifetime. So do not give up hope. But when you're in that waiting period, where sometimes you're just like, I don't know, is this, is this all going to happen? Is this really going to happen? Maybe you're here this morning and there's a prayer request that you've been praying and well, quite frankly, you're getting tired of praying it. In fact, maybe you've just quit praying it because you know what, it's not gonna happen. I've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and it didn't happen. It's probably how Elizabeth felt. And then after it seemed that there was no way it could happen, it did happen. So maybe you've got a prayer request in your life 
Maybe you got a family situation, a kid situation, a grandkid situation. Maybe you got a financial situation, a job situation, a health situation. I don't know what your situation is, but maybe there's a situation that you've got that you've been praying about and you're about to give up hope. And I want you to know this morning, don't give up hope. Don't quit believing. Hang on to the truth. We have God's word. He hears your prayers and he'll answer your prayers. I mean, he's going to answer your prayers the way you want him to answer the prayers. He didn't answer Elizabeth's prayers the way she wanted them, but indeed he did answer Maybe you're struggling in the waiting and the longing and the pining for God to do something in your life. My encouragement to you this morning is don't give up the hope. Don't give up believing. Hang on to the incredible gift that God has given us, the gift of hope, the confident expectation that everything God said is gonna happen will indeed happen. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of Jesus, the gift of hope. God, we believe that Jesus is coming back. We believe that you're going to fulfill every word of the promise you've given us in your word. God, help us to be a faithful church, just as Elizabeth and Zechariah were faithful and blameless. God, may that be our lives. May that be the way we are seen. God, use us, I pray, in these last days. We look forward to the return of Jesus. Help us to be faithful. God, I pray this morning for one who's here today or listening online or watching this service, that they're, they're at their end of the rope. They don't know how much more they can take and they're not sure where God is. God, I pray that you would give them, you would give them peace in their heart. That God, that the words we see this morning will will just give them that confidence that you, you are listening to their prayers and that in the appointed time, when the time is just right, you will always do what's best for us. So God, we hang our hat in that and we worship you and we love you this morning. We ask all this and pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen and amen. Let's stand as we sing our final worship song this morning.